Cunningham for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. Uh. It's the goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most. Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. You gotta prep for you carry the load. It's coffee to the soul for those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road? There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toll. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen till you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor's years of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a stand to deliver up to. Enterprise sacrifice, can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight. Not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie Choose none so we all cross the finish line The work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Gill Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To every track coach could be the blessing And welcome back here to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. You keep showing up every week, and you know what? I'm going to keep showing up every week. So grateful that you would join us here on the podcast where we just uplift and honor uh, typically track and field coaches, uh, their journey here in this great profession. We've got, well, we're going to find out she might coach. I don't know. We're going to find out. But we've got someone special here in the track and field world that I'm super excited to bring to you. Help me welcome sales rep, throw specialist. We're gonna, I, I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about throws today from MF Athletics. Help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Miss Lisa Wilson. Lisa, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Um, you know, a lot of people ask me that question online here, you know, when we're recording and I tell them like, I'm getting paid right now. So I am doing awesome. Like this is my job. I get to talk to awesome people in track and field around the, really around the world and get paid. So I am doing really really good thanks for asking <laughs> you're still in my lines that's what i usually say uh yeah i'm gonna take all the lines today absolutely well <laughs> lisa thanks for being here today you know typically here on the show this is episode number 197 so we've had 196 other past guests and probably out of those 196 190 yeah, maybe say 190 have been track and field coaches uh, from as far away as Australia to, you know, we're in Champaign to literally as close as Champaign. We had University of Illinois, Petrus Kiprianu here on as well. So we've had the gamut, throws coaches, distance coaches, division one, high school, all around. But we're going to find out, I already introduced uh, you to, you're, you're not a coach. You actually work for someone that a lot of people have already kind of like, oh, well, yeah, well, I know these guys, MF Athletics. Uh, so I'm super fascinated to find out, you know, just kind of what you do, how you do it, why you do it uh, as you work there as a sales rep for MF Athletics today. Yeah, awesome. So I got really lucky. I've started working for MF Athletic about, oh my gosh, four and a half years ago. Um, I was actually coaching at the time and my buddy I was coaching for, Trent Beltzell, who's now the URI head coach. This was at Assumption. Um, he actually, I was just helping out part-time. I was in between a bunch of jobs and he pretty much said, hey, he's good friends with Mark Strodeman, my boss. They were looking to hire and he's like, get your act together, get a job. <laughs> and I interviewed and it's the absolute perfect job for me because oh. I'm just obsessed with track and field. 
competing, coaching, talking about it, just being involved in the world. I love it. And this job gives me the opportunity. Yes, I sell equipment. I have to do all that day to day, but I get to go to track meets. I get to go to clinics. I can present at some places. I get to just talk to coaches or athletes or other vendors. And it's just an awesome, perfect experience for me and a perfect fit. Um, so I sell all sorts of equipment throws is my specialty, but I sell absolutely everything. Um, I get to help people problem solve to figure out what they need, even if it's a high jump pit mm -hmm. <laughs> versus throws equipment. I get to do all that kind of stuff. Um, and just the opportunity to talk about track with mm -hmm. coaches. It's awesome. Yeah, you already I, said that line. <laughs> I, I, I think we're going to make some people jealous because I know you and I are going to geek out about our professions that we have. Uh, and it, it is a pretty good gig here, guys and gals. I mean, it's, uh, I certainly wouldn't go back. And, and you all know from my social media and the podcast how much I adore and love the coaching profession and the people that choose it. And I still wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it. I love you guys and gals, but uh, I'm not trading. She might. We'll find out. <laughs> well, let's let's get in our way back machine here, Lisa. You talked about uh, as you were talking about getting into MF athletics and shout out to Mark Stratum and your boss. Great guy there at MF. No, the M doesn't stand for Mark. I know he wants that sometimes, but that's that's a myth. We're going to just abolish that myth right there. Uh, but you talked about being an athlete and being a coach. So let's jump back here and learn more about you and your journey to today here at MF athletics. Where does athletics, where does track and field start for you? How did you get involved in this crazy sport? Oh boy. Okay. I'll summarize because it's way back when. So I didn't start track until I was a freshman in high school. I was actually a football and basketball player. And when I was a freshman, I had all the spring sports asking, you know, trying to get me to do their sport. Cause I was like, I was the athletic kid and, um, uh, you know, tennis, softball, that kind of stuff. And I remember the track coach came up to me and said, like, hey, we'll work around your basketball schedule because I was doing club ball and you can do whatever you want. Just show up and throw some things, run sometimes. And in my mind, I was like, oh, super tomboy. Don't have to wear a skirt. This sport sounds awesome. <laughs> so I ended up getting to track as a freshman in high school and did it for my four years, had a, a lot of success. Basketball was actually still my main sport. But when my parents asked me to get a scholarship for college, I had more potential track. So I kind of switched gears, started looking at schools for track. And once I got to school for, I mean, I just fell in love from college on. Um, yeah, that's how I got started in the sport. <laughs> now, you said something that I'm sure everybody listening right now is like, oh, he's going to have to ask her about this. <laughs> you said, you know, basketball, tennis. I love all that. That's great. You said football. And I'm curious, did you mean football in the European way, soccer, or did you mean American football like like yeah. I love to watch on college Saturdays? <laughs> Tell me yeah, more about this. So I actually started playing football as my first sport in third grade, and I played all the way through junior year of high school. Football, football. Helmet. Yeah, tackle, pads. That right. Hold on. I have never because I'm not please, you you know me well enough, Lisa. <laughs> Audience, I'm not being sexist here. You have to admit. <laughs> every girl or woman who plays football gets an article about them because it is still so rare. I have yeah. not, first of all, I didn't know this about you. Second of all, I've never met a, a female who played football. Tell me more about that. We, we're done with tracking. Yeah. We're just going to learn about this. <laughs> Tell me more um, about this. So I started when I was really little because my dad was obsessed with football. We have Patriot season tickets all my life. 
And as funny as it sounds, when I was in third grade, my older brother, he was playing football and decided not to. And I saw how sad my dad was and I decided I wanted to play. Oh. <laughs> so that's how I got started. <laughs> oh. I know it's adorable. A little eight-year-old. It is. But I played, so I got to grow up with the same group of kids. So for me, football wasn't something like I jumped into. I was with same kids, same coaches. I grew up with them. So it was just normal to me. It wasn't like something that I was like, oh, girls don't play football. I just played. (laughs) And I, you know, did the whole thing. And especially for girls who grow earlier in life, I was always the bigger kid on the team of third grade all the way until high school. Sure. Mm -hmm. And when boys hit puberty, I kind of, yeah. I wasn't playing much anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't want to, it was just, it's the reality of I'm smaller yeah. and we're better than me. So yeah. it was never an issue of anything like that. But anyway, so I played third grade through junior year. I didn't play my senior year, but yeah. What, what, <laughs> so, what positions did you mainly play? Were you uh, um, line, so, linebacker? Yeah. Growing up, I played more like tight end, D end. Um, and then when I got into high school and all the guys started to grow, I played a little more like wide receiver. Um, yeah. Tell me, did you score a touchdown in your high school career? In high school? No. In Pop Warner, I did. Okay. Well, that's, that's enough. I played more defense in high school too. I've never played, I've never scored a touchdown. I was going to be very, first of all, I'm jealous that you scored as Pop Warner, but (laughs) I was going to be really jealous that you scored in high school and I didn't. I was an offensive lineman, but still, I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to get one in just to, so I could say it. <laughs> that is fascinating. Did, did you, you? You talked about it being normal. Yeah. But uh, I assume you were the only girl on the team, so it yeah. wasn't normal in the sense of you didn't have like ten other female uh, teammates. W- what was it like when you're hanging around your girlfriends? That was, I mean, w- was it odd that Lisa was the footballer, or was it just like, oh yeah, here's another sport she plays, of course. <laughs> Um, I think so amongst like our team, I say normal because it was just, I was just part of the team. Mm. No one ever mistreated me. If they did, I, when we were younger, like they'd be like, all right, line up against her and see what happens. So it's like growing up, I could prove myself. And then I would say like amongst other teams, like other teams would like talk against it, but that, I mean, that's normal. It just was what it was. My teammates didn't care. So that was comfortable. Um, probably with my friends, it was just the other sport I played, but it gave me like, kind of like a tough reputation. Um, so like I was the kid, like, you know, in basketball, like fighting for loose balls and all that. And I kind of had that reputation, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's just, to me, it was so normal, but Mm -hmm. what is cool is that some of my teammates, their younger sisters would play a couple of years in pop Warner. And that's like, that's very beautiful to me (laughs) seeing that hundred percent. That's a, that's another proof to me that representation matters. They saw, I was like, well, wait a minute. It's, it's always kind of sounds a little weird when I say it this way, but it's like, wait a minute, if Lisa can do it, well, then I yeah. can too. You know, so <laughs> like, well, if Lisa can do it, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And so as you were getting towards junior and senior year, there was more potential for track and field uh, scholarship wise for college Were you, um, and we know you're a thrower. So spoiler alert, uh, you were throwing was it only shot put in discus back then? Cause we're going to learn a little bit about another event for you, but I wasn't yeah. sure where actually you grew up and maybe there were uh, any hammer or javelin opportunities. Nope. I uh, born and raised Massachusetts. So okay. there was javelin, but I, it's the funniest thing to ever watch me throw javelin. I'm horrific. You can laugh. It's wonderful <laughs> to watch, but um, no, I did shot in discus in high school and then I did sprints as well. 
um, more like four by one and mm -hmm. 100. And if they want to make me upset, they put me in the two, but, um, but yeah, so I was primarily shot in disc. And so as you were looking at college opportunities, what was the plan? Meaning, you know, where did you kind of look at and where did you end up going? And what were you thinking like a major, like, oh, I'm going to go become an astronaut. I'm going to become a fireman or whatever. What what was the plan going into college? Because sometimes that changes in college. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going to college, my parents asked me to get a scholarship and stay within a couple hours. So I didn't really look many places. I just looked at the local big schools. Um, I wanted to be a restaurant manager. That yeah. was my dream. I love hospitality and I did study hospitality management. Um, so that's what I was looking for in school. I ended up at UMass Amherst, who has a great management program and a hospitality program. Um, and though, I mean, that's as basic as it gets. That's what I was looking for. And I wanted, I think when I was in high school, we didn't have as much guidance then there's so much information now, but at looking at schools. So I didn't really know where to look. <laughs> so I just looked, oh, it's a D1 program. They said they'd give me money potentially. Mm -hmm. They have a good football team and I like watching football. Mm -hmm. My parents are happy. So <laughs> and, and what, what, what year would this have been? Where, where were we at time-wise? Um, I graduated high school 06. Yeah, so okay. 06 to 10, I was in college. Yeah, that's when I started at Gill, by the way. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> my third my third career was Gill and I started in 06. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, young. Enough. All right, good, good. <laughs> Uh, so tell me more about restaurant management. That's very specific. Uh, is family in that or what was the, why that? Well, you, you said you kind of <laughs> like that hospitality area. I like food. That was the main reason. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, amen. I'm with it. All right. <laughs> but the, like, the, the beautiful reason is that whenever I think of food or going to restaurants, I think of how much happiness it brings people and just the enjoyment and the socializing you get to do in that situation. And that's something that I always wanted to share. Oh, so, wow. yeah, it's <laughs> fascinating when we interview coaches here, because typically they don't, you know, no one goes into, I shouldn't say no one. Most people don't go into college. Uh, I am going to be a track coach. So I'm going to study exercise phys or whatever they may choose. Uh, a lot of people go in, the path was to go one way and the path changes, but almost to a T, everyone goes into college, everyone who becomes a coach goes into college with the thought of, I'm going to serve others. Like yeah. people go in and go, oh yeah, I was going to be a teacher. Like, oh, well, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Right. Uh, or um, I wanted to become a restaurant uh, manager because I wanted to serve others and give them joy through the, through the art of food. It's like, so it's fascinating to me how you're in a service profession today yeah. It was born in you from the get go of like, oh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe it's restaurants, but I'm going to serve others. You know, like I, yeah. I love that connection there. Yeah. So how did college go? And did you get a hospitality restaurant management degree or what, tell me more about college? <laughs> um, yep. So hospitality management, graduated from UMass, um, did track all four years. Um, when I'm trying to think what direction to even go with this. <laughs> I learned hammer because that's going to end up being important. Yeah. So I did all throwing events when I was in college. I had multiple coaches. So I had plenty of people to talk about. Um, but I just ended up in one of those situations that I had a different coach almost every year. Wow. So very tough, but I learned a lot from it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think 
Well, well let's you. let's talk about that because let's yeah. let's if you don't know Lisa, we're gonna just rip the band-aid off the biggest spoiler. A heck of a hammer thrower. Um, and that's why I was kind of leading like you know, because I know Rhode Island has hammer, so I wasn't sure if you you had lived in Rhode yeah. Island. Uh so I, I don't know, I don't want to say obviously assumably hammer gets picked up in college and you find out like, Oh my, this is what I was here for track and field. Uh, Screw all this uh, football and tennis and uh, shot put stuff. Uh, I like the, the, I like the hammer here. So tell us about hammer. Like, do you remember the first time you picked it up and started learning turns and all that? Uh, Was it something that was like an automatic like memory or was it like, Oh no, no, give me the discus, not a, not a, a hammer. Yeah. So first time I ever saw hammer, I was, I went to a camp at Brown University when Coach E was still there. Um, So this is like 09, forever ago. Um, And I saw them throwing hammer and I thought it was the scariest thing in the world and I wouldn't go near it. Uh, But then when I got to college, I told them I didn't want to do it. They said, too bad, you have to learn. So I did and I never liked it. So I actually didn't really like hammer until it was... New England's my senior year and I had a big PR and that was the first time I ever threw it relatively far. I hated it. Hated it. Really? I did it. Because of that. Yep. Well, I didn't fall in love with it till after college. Now the hammer is my favorite throwing event. Uh, when I coached, yeah, yeah. When I coached, I would always, you know, hammer throwers are always early practice. I'd always go early to watch them. It's just, it's such a ballet with explosiveness. It's just amazing. The speed everything you do in that small circle. And then that ball just goes so far. It's so, so cool. Why, what was it about it that you hated? Was it just awkward for you? You know, cause it is different than a shot and a discus, et cetera. What, what was it about that you just didn't like? Um, I think it's because I wasn't naturally good at it right away. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have anyone around that was excited about it. So it was just kind of a thing of like, why would I be excited about something that's just, something I have to do. Mm-hmm. So it was more a circumstance, probably of culture, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, discus was always my love and that's what I was always great at. And that's what I had success at. So mm-hmm. I just, no one said to me like, Hey, you could be good at this until new England's my senior year. It was actually Joe Donahue at, uh, when he was at Northeastern, oh, yeah. uh, he came up to me. I choked in shot. I hate to use the word choked. I didn't throw far in shot at that meet. It was disappointing. And he came up to me and I promised I wouldn't swear. So I won't say exactly what he said, but he's like, you want to know why you're so bad at hammer? And I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, sure. bud. tell me, thank you. (laughs) And he's like, because you try to throw like a shot putter, you get all intense, you get excited, you're running around, jumping up and down too much. And that's not what a hammer is. You got to calm down. And I was like, I mean, I got nothing else to do, so (laughs) I guess I'll try it. And that was the first time I threw it well. So, yeah. That that reminds me of uh, my friend, and I'm sure you know him as well, Kibway Johnson. Uh, You know, he likes to do his, um, you know, the towel of hammer. And I I remember one of his sayings is to to throw the hammer far. You have to not try to throw the hammer far. That reminds me of just that relaxation. That's So do you remember that throw, the first throw that, that was, you know, a big PR? Do you remember like just how different it felt from what you were doing before? Yeah. So I had one. So at our conference meet the weekend before I had one good throw. That was the first time I felt something, but I fouled. I still will protest. I did not foul. I told them I didn't foul. I don't know why they didn't listen to me, but, um, and they wouldn't tell me the mark, but they did take the mark because I protested it. I found out later it was, um, I think it was 
58 meters, which would have been like humongous PR. Yeah, saying what were you throwing on average before that? 55 if I was lucky. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was it was not my jam. But <laughs> so that was the first time I was like, oh, that's cool. But then it was like the destruction of, well, you just fouled out, so it doesn't matter. So it's kind of like, oh, I guess it doesn't yeah, hard matter. to be hard to be up for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then New England, the yeah, it's just a different feeling. The ball just moves and it's it's glorious. <laughs> so how did you continue to take that? Did it this was senior year. So, I mean, a lot of times we're, we're done. I mean, there's, there's not many people that get to go on after college. Heck, there's not many people that go on after high school. You're already in rarefied air by being a collegiate athlete. Yeah. Uh, most people would be like, Oh, that was a great career. And I'm, man, it sucks. I learned it. You know, the, my last year, I wish I could have done that my freshman year, but Oh, well, let's move on and go manage a restaurant or something. What, what yeah. did you, what did the hammer continue to do for you? So I'll try to summarize it. Cause it's actually, a, I have a lot of really unique background, but um, so I did go to regionals. That was one of the, I think the second or third year that they were doing the 48 to regionals. Mm -hmm. They just had started when I was in school. Mm -hmm. So I did go to regionals. I didn't PR, but I threw about the same thing, got to finish 16th. And at that time, like all the top girls were all these like amazing foreigners to me. And mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I get to be near them. That's really cool. So that was my last time with Hammer. I didn't really plan to continue throwing. I actually, at that time, um, this sounds crazy, but I signed a contract with Chipotle to manage a bunch of locations. And oh. the guy that hired me got fired. I re-interviewed. That guy got fired. <laughs> so then I said, screw this. This is not what I should be doing. And I got a grad assistant coaching job and went out uh, to California. Oh, is that and, right? Yep. So I was in California for five years. Um, and when I moved out there, I did not have the intention of training. It was just, I went there to coach, get my MBA, um, live in Cali, be a Cali girl, yeah. <laughs> which sounded cool. Um, but while I was out there, I still threw for fun because I couldn't help myself. It was the only life I knew. And hmm. uh, you've probably talked to me about that transition after college or after a career. It's, it's tough. You don't know what to do. So right. I went in the weight room and I threw things for fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the time... My boss, Mike Schmidt, University of Redlands coach, he is mm -hmm. the best. He's still there. Yeah. Um, and he was like, hey, do you want to check out the Olympic Training Center? And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. This sounds like a dream come true. So I signed up for, they used to do like random like Wednesday meets in the summer and stuff like that. So I signed up for that. And I was thinking about doing club nationals. And they told me like, you need a mm -hmm. mark. So I was like, oh, I'll go throw hammer. Like I, I ended up doing all the events, but I was like, oh, I'll go throw hammer. Just the hell of it. Let's see what happens. And I went and threw and I ended up, Jim Driscoll was coach for most of my career that he just changed my life. He happened to be there coaching some high school athletes. And he saw me and went up to Mike thinking he was my coach, not knowing he was just my boss. And was like, hey, she could be something. Tell her to come talk to me if she is interested in being coached. She has to come to me though. That's a big thing I learned from Jim. And, um, so I did, and that's really when my hammer journey began and I fell in love with it. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, you, this easily could not have happened. This easily could have been like, yeah, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm cool to have fun when I'm coaching with the athletes, but 
the competition thing's over. I, I gave that a shot. It's over with, you know, that's yeah. so fascinating. Um, back up real quick. You said something about during college about how you kind of had four different coaches through, you know, a new coach every year, essentially. And we actually had, and I can't remember who it was, a guest that talked about that. And it was really fascinating, their response to this question. Uh, because you you said I learned a lot because of that though. Can you tell us what what kind of things did you learn having someone new every year through your college career? Oh, um, so I think the biggest thing I learned is taking ownership of what I'm doing and dedication to learning. Because I didn't even know that coaches had set systems. Like you get to hear these amazing experiences of athletes who get to be a coaches for years. And the coaches have a system. You're not expected to be the best athlete the first year. There's plans. There's a four-year plan or whatever the situation is. So I didn't even know that existed. So when I kept getting new coaches, you know, over the summer, you have to figure out what you're doing, figure out your own lifting. Um, If you want to go throw, like, what do you do? So I was kind of forced to learn more. And I never was an expert, but I knew enough to help myself get better and um, just the reliability on yourself. Yeah. You're the one that has to get to practice. You're the one that has to understand what you're trying to accomplish, how a practice is run. And um, where I had guidance over the years, I mean, that's having a new coach all the time really affects things because it's not it's not a reflection of how good of a coach they are, but right. when they know they're about to leave, they're not giving you as much. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's just reality. Um, so I had a lot of time to kind of play around and figure things out and try to write up some programming. And I learned later on that I had no idea what I was doing, but it was enough for me at the time. So, yeah. You, you know, a lot of people automatically look at that as a negative having that many coaches. Uh, but to you, you know, you, you said you thought every coach, it was the same, like everybody just kind of coached the same, but you, you obviously learned through those years of like, Oh, coach so-and-so did it differently than X and this person did it differently than the next person, et cetera. Did that, how much did that teach you of that there are different styles and that you can cobble a little bit from each one of these to create your own style? Yeah. So I think the difference is that time I didn't know I wanted to coach. So I didn't know what to try to learn from people. So a lot of it was as a young athlete who thought she was hot shit, (laughs) um, trying to pick up what she needed to be a great athlete. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of the different mindset of, I learned, I did learn there's a lot of coaching styles, but I learned what was good for me because I was very focused on me at the time because Mm -hmm. that's what I had. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very interesting to look back now and be like, oh, like this is what the coach was doing. This is what would have been most beneficial for the athlete to do and seeing those connections and seeing, well, this style works with this person or like this much structure is good for this style athlete. So it's more looking back and seeing that. I know I'm being very vague, but <laughs> um, but it gave me a lot of opportunity on that when I reflected later in life, um, when I started coaching and thinking what I would have liked um, as a general athlete. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just, it was tough. So you go all the way across the country. That's amazing. Not many people have the guts to do that. Most, yeah. no, I shouldn't say most, uh, some people don't have the guts to leave their hometowns. You go yeah. completely across the country. You go East coast to West coast. You go to the university of Redlands to do grad work and you're working on your MBA there. Is the thought now at this point, like I'm going to be a coach or was it still like, Oh no, this is just an end to justify the means that I'm going to get my MBA. I did want to become a coach. Okay. I figured why take the job 
it's just my, I'm all in when I'm going to do something like that. So mm -hmm. I said, like, I love the sport. Coaching seems like a great plan and free school. I mean, seems like a no brainer. <laughs> uh, so I went in wanting to coach and um, Mike is an incredible mentor. Mm -hmm. So I got in a really good situation that he really, I assume he enjoys teaching. Maybe he doesn't, but that's the impression I got. <laughs> um, but he was very into like, we'd sit with the whiteboard. We do actual like teaching sessions. I learned, like I learned about all different training, all different events. I even did some cross country and distance stuff. Um, just learning, you know, energy systems, all of that stuff. Like he took it bare bones because I'm not good with science. And that is very helpful as a coach to be good at. Um, so it was just an awesome opportunity that he gave me with that. And we got to deal with a lot. And there's usually another GA. Sometimes there wasn't. So I learned how to run a program, how to coach. And it was just, it was a lot. <laughs> so let's explore that a little bit because that is that seemingly is a little unique. We've had a lot of people who have done GA work and we've had a lot of people on here who have GAs. And I'm not, my memory, again, after 196 others, I'm, my memory's not the greatest, but I don't remember much of there being any kind of formal like education of, hey, I'm your head coach, you're the GA. I'm going to help you not only on the science part, wherever you might not have, where you might be deficient, but also on how to run a program, leadership, culture, et cetera. That seems different yeah and i think mike was working with gas i don't know how long before me but i mean i know the other gas he's worked with like i'm friends with now like people that came before me after me um and i think he had a set system that he knew like i need to teach this information for my program to be successful mm. and obviously there's a point where it's like figure it out. <laughs> there has to be the point that you get your hands dirty and you start to experiment and learn what you can do. Uh, but there was, we came in the summer, we had formal stuff, learning some science background, especially because I don't have a distance running background. Mm -hmm. So just learning energy systems and that kind of stuff. Like we did like classroom sessions on that pretty much. And then he gave me books to read, which I have some in here somewhere. <laughs> um, and as the season started, I had the opportunity for cross country to learn, you know, management, um, when they had all the rules about like, you know, your hour rules based mm -hmm. on what part of the season, all that kind of stuff. Like I got, I just dove right in. And when it's, he runs it as a big program, it's division three school, but I mean, the level of athletes, there, are high level athletes there. It's a big program. He had big expectations. So once I got through cross country and I got to learn a lot of stuff, it was like when track came around, you better have your stuff together <laughs> and be ready. And um, I did get into coaching very quickly, which in a dream scenario, I wish I had a chance to watch a little more, mm -hmm. but I mean, how else do you learn? <laughs> well, you know, shout out to Mike Schmidt. Cause <laughs> I mean, that's a different take on GAs that I, I, I don't, think it's not normal. I know it's not normal. A, a lot of it is thrown to the wolves. Hey, okay, you're in charge of this group, etc. Uh, very rarely do we get the opportunity to have a GA that is um, part of another, like a, a throws GA who is working with the throws coach. Usually it's like, oh, you're the throws GA because you're coaching the throws. So uh, especially at a school like Redlands and you know what we did when I was at Troy, etc. So uh, that's just awesome that he took the responsibility very seriously and I would have to imagine there's probably some pretty good uh, coaching tree from him because of this. That's quite amazing. One of the quick ones, Angelo Pasilico at Duke. He oh, was yeah. Duke. Yep. 
Well, that's that's a heck of right there. That tree could stop, and I'd be very impressed because he does a, a, a fantastic job up there at Duke. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So, okay, let's merge. We're we're learning. Coach Mike is teaching you coaching, not just yeah, yeah. You're the GA and do your MBA classes and show up and do your practice. Uh, is teaching you coaching, and at the same time, you go to Chula Vista, you go to the training center, and you throw and must either either throw well enough or look like you should have thrown <laughs> well enough. <laughs> that um uh jim right if i remember yeah yeah Yeah, just that's right comes up to you or comes up to coach and says hey um like she could be something like we we might need to nurture this when that word got back to you because he talked to mike schmidt thinking he was your coach i love that (laughs) Uh, when that word got back to you how did that feel what what did you think off of that it was shocking because as i said i hated (laughs) hammer so it was kind of like a that's a weird thing And then the thought process of like, well, I've never explored it. Like, I have no idea what I could do. And I always, I always had the big dream. I always wanted to be something great. Some, someone that people looked up to and and obviously all that wasn't flashing in my mind right at that moment, but it's just like an opportunity to be an athlete. Sounds pretty cool. (laughs) So I talked to Jim that day when we were at the training center, introduced myself and um, we kind of talked about things that could happen. And I think he was trying to get a gauge if I was actually interested. And, um, so I was in Redlands, he lived in Newport beach at the time. So it was a little bit of a drive, but, um, this was near, I'm trying to remember it was going into my second year as a GA. Um, and it was a two-year program. So I had time to drive and visit him and we did a few sessions and, literally within a month I improved by like 20 feet so I was like oh this is pretty cool <laughs> this is fun so, it's fun to improve w- yeah it's always much more fun to be good <laughs> yeah that's why nothing's fun for me I'm not good at anything oh. uh, uh what was it we don't talk x's and o's on this yeah. pod there's another uh, there's awesome amazing podcast and clinics and stuff for for that aspect of it so not talking about any kind of workout or maybe even a specific technique, but what was it about Jim that helped bring 20 feet fairly quickly? Cause that's a, that's a st- outstanding, whether you are uh, not very good or really good. 20 feet is a lot of feet to add yeah. in, in this ain't rookie year for you. So it's not like, Oh, I taught her how to turn. Uh, yeah. I, I, you had to do things that you already doing better to do that. Yeah. So I would say kind of big picture wise, Jim has a very calming personality and I'm a very uh, big personality and um, emotional and intense. And just even having someone to just be like, hey, what, you know, X, Y, Z, mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> like just having something very precise to do, having a set system, learning concepts and not just having someone be like, you got to go win conferences. What are you doing <laughs> wrong? Like it was, it, there was no pressure. Uh, no pressure. Jim really understands the event and he was a high level hammer thrower as well. He was training partners with Lance Steele for a number mm-hmm. of years. Um, and Jim, will, the, the sad story, he's always the first person that didn't make the team. So, um, but he was always one of the best for like 10 years. So he walked the walk and he understood and he just loved the sport. And he, it, something that I always want to do is he wanted to give back. And this was something that he, we talked about a lot and just, I think that feeling of knowing someone generally wants you to be great and wants you to have a great experience. It really affects you. You really feel that. And it's not only that you want to do great for them, 
you're happy about it mm. and it makes you feel good and I think Jim I get emotional I love Jim to death <laughs> um I really felt that from him and he taught that to me and yeah <laughs> that's the big picture you know, first of all, shout out Lance Deal, Gill Athletics Connections alum. So if you want to know more about Lance, go in the app that you're listening right now, search for Lance Deal on the Gill podcast. If you know Lance at all, you know how much fun we had on that podcast because he is a hoot and a half, man. I love that guy to death. Um, going back to Jim and yours relationship here, you know, it's really striking that a lot of that revolves around belief that he believed in you, like, and, and that you then could start believing in yourself, not just like, oh, I'm a hammer thrower. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I can throw this type of mark. I, I could potentially make this kind of team, et cetera. I can make these kind of meets. Um, it, it's quite fascinating the amount of coaches that have a lot of uh, technical knowledge. I mean, it's quite amazing some of these coaches. I mean, they're just, it's boggling how much they know. And then the coaches that on top of that that have belief in their athletes and they're, and they know how to convey it to their athletes. Those are the ones that's when we get the, uh, the long jumper that sets the national record, the, the sprinters that go on to become professional. That's, that's the next level with athletics. What did, as you were coaching yourself at this time, so you're kind of maybe inadvertently, maybe you don't know until maybe now looking back, you, you may not have realized this. You were also learning how to coach from gym again, not necessarily X's and O's, although you, probably picked up a few things there as well uh but just like oh the way he makes me feel like were you able to internalize that and then externalize that go oh the way he makes me feel well then I I, I would like to be that for my athletes yeah and I don't think I would have connected those things at the time but I know that throwing gave me such joy and purpose and I just I loved being part of a group that had throwing and happiness and just the opportunity to excel at something or work at something, even if you don't get that much better, like just having something to work at, having that purpose. Um, I hope I conveyed that to my athletes. I wanted them to come to practice and want to be there and enjoy the process and get better. And I think pretty much everyone I worked with at that time, they were improving and they seemed to really enjoy and want to excel through the season. Um, I hope I gave that to them. And I hope they remember those couple of years fondly. I know they had to go through the same thing of having a different coach every couple of years. Right. So I hope <laughs> I still hear from some of them. Yeah. Um, but that's a, yeah, that's a good sign right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. None of my athletes ever called me anymore. So I don't know what that says. That's not true. Jamel Ashley, shout out to Jamel Ashley, uh, runner up in the 400 in 2005, I think it was. Uh, uh, literally Facebook, we were today talking, which I love him. He's a special education teacher, which I'm like, at his old high school, which I was like, oh, like, I love that for you. Like, that's so sweet that you get to go back and contribute back to the school, contribute to him. So I love Jamel Ashley out there. And he was pretty, pretty fast too. Um, so Talk, keep us going there. You talk about, you get, do you get, you actually get your MBA. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I don't have an MBA. I barely can spell MBA. Uh, what was it like? What was the plan after that? So you, you, you're a coach. You want to be a coach. You are a coach. What do you do next? Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of a funny answer. Um, so I got an MBA um, near the end of my program. I had obviously a choice of look to apply for jobs. I had different schools reach out because female throws coach at the time. It's a rare commodity. Um, so I did have some opportunities, but as I just had 
really seen what a great athletic career I had the opportunity for. I decided to leap on that first. Mm -hmm. And um, my situation, it sounds crazy. So Jim volunteer coached at a high school. And he also, his wife had a very lucrative company that it was an asset alternative management company. Um, so he was able to coach and help out with the company. He offered for me, if I want to stay and train with him, that I could help out. Um, they travel a lot. I would house it. I would take over coaching for the team um, and help out at the company, even just cleaning offices, whatever I needed to do to make enough money to survive. Mm -hmm. So I had the amazing opportunity to just train, train and help Jim out with whatever jobs were needed. Um, and I decided I should probably do this while I can. <laughs> So I got to live out there for a few years and just train full time and see what was out there for my athletic career. That's a heck of an opportunity. You don't get that often. <laughs> I mean, some of our best kids coming out of college are working 20, 30, 40 hours and then trying to train. And I know you're working, but you were working for your coach. So there probably was yeah. a lot of leeway there. Like, hey, yeah, we're good. Let's go to the, let's go to the ring. <laughs> um so what was that like? I mean, hardly any of us ever get the chance to just do our athleticism here. Uh, and you were able to do that for a couple of years. So I have two answers on that. At the time, it was everything I ever wanted. Hmm. It was awesome. The only issue was that I, I had one friend that moved out to be my training partner, um, but I never had someone to watch how they became great. So a higher level thrower to really learn from. I didn't have that opportunity. So I think there's things I missed at that time, lifestyle choices, um, even just being, I was a pretty, I was a good student of the sport. I watched videos and I learned and me and Jim did a lot of research. Um, but I don't know if I truly took advantage of the life I could have had, um, in regards to my athletic career. Hmm. Um, it's funny in the moment it was perfect when I look back because of how different my life is now and how much better of a throw or how much further I'm throwing, I'll say, hmm. um, I actually think people should have a part-time job. I think it's good to have an escape and your own finances that you can live the life you want and train in a happy, comfortable environment. And I, it sounds crazy when I say that, I think the old style of grind at all cost to be an elite athlete, I think that's not how it is anymore or how it should be. Um, I think now with my lifestyle now. So I do work full time throwing while in my brain is my number one. It really is my number two because <laughs> I have a full-time job. Um, but having the finances to have my own home, eat quality food all the time, not stress about traveling to meets or traveling to events. Um, my career is better because of that. And what, I mean, I don't really want to work as many hours as I do ideally. Um, but I think I was young at the time that I was living out there that I didn't get to understand that. Hmm. Uh, and I didn't know, I should have asked the questions, um, but you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> I was about to say, you can be excused for being 23, 24 years old, living in California, uh, not dealing with the Massachusetts winters and uh, you throw. That's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to like, why should I ask questions? Don't ask questions. Just keep it going. <laughs> Just yeah. love it. Love it. Just um, keep it going. But I mean, it was awesome. I'm so fortunate. I wouldn't change a thing. It was awesome. Um, I just wasn't the best thrower I could have been at that time. So did you get better? Um, <laughs> see, you don't know how complicated my history is. Yeah. So I trained 
from full time 2012 to about 17. Um, And at that time, I was just not improving. I wasn't happy with my life. Mm -hmm. I had a really bad breakup. Mm -hmm. So I retired. Mm -hmm. Retired. Mm -hmm. Um, And then around the time, a little before COVID, um, you know, I had this full time job. Um, I have a great boyfriend who's super supportive and I'll tell you the funny story of him after. Um, and I am coaching. I coached for year, all those years in between, uh, whether it was at my old high school, I went back and coached. Oh, and then I nice. coached at Assumption with Trent that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of picked up throwing, picked up a hammer for fun and mm-hmm. it went really far. And my boyfriend kind of was like, so what you doing? <laughs> like, was, like, what was, you like, was he a throwing boyfriend? Or like, did he understand at all what the handle um, was? It sounds so inappropriate. He was actually an athlete at Redlands, but we didn't <laughs> date at that time. And yeah, I was, I was, I was letting you finish that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know where people's minds go. Uh, he was a sprinter at Redlands. Okay. And he re-met seven and a half years later okay. when he was coaching at Piedmont in Georgia. So he knew about the hammer. It wasn't like, you know, someone off the streets. that's like, my girlfriend throws the hammer, but I don't really know what that means. He knew <laughs> what, what the hammer is. was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he knew, he's like, how far did you just throw? I was like, um, it's like 63 meters and, you know, just horsing around. He's like, what's your PR? I was like, 66. He's like, think about that for a second. I was like, don't give me hope. Just shut your <laughs> mouth. Like I retired years ago and oh God, how old was I? I was like. 20 no I was 31 uh-huh. I was like 31 when this happened so most people are do- definitely done with their athletic careers yeah Not I, as much as those, but. I, I don't know I was gonna say because that's the real joke of track and field is yeah. you usually don't hit your prime till you're 28 to 32 because you've built up all those right. years and most mm-hmm. of us can't get to 28 because of jobs and life and yeah. Uh, yep. no, no financial support, et cetera. Yeah. That's the real kind of just like, I think that's yeah. the, you know, the track God's humor of just like, oh yeah, you're not going to get really good to your 32, but you ain't going to make it to 32. <laughs> exactly. So long story short, I picked it up again. We decided for fun to do some meets. Um, and I threw pretty well and I ended up qualifying for USA's again with a big PR. I PR'd by like four meters (laughs) and like so we said okay and are you for a few years are you coaching yourself at this point so when i started getting back into it i coached myself um i got one of my former athletes from assumption to come train with me um just so i had someone around and then i had one of my local friends i was like hey it's covid and you have nothing to do you want to just hang out at practice with me so he helped me and guided me and then um, after that first year, I had like my dream season. And then I asked Derek Yesh to start working with me because um, I've known him since college and I needed some guidance to get better. Yeah, so I didn't know. I, I, I knew you knew Derek. I didn't know that Derek coached you, I don't think. Oh, he man. You or I when I was in school. Yeah, I know Derek very well. I've known him since he was at you or I. So, yeah, I've known mm-hmm. Derek for a while. Yep. That's awesome. Love him to death. Oh, man, what a great guy. Man. Uh, that's awesome. Okay. So 
where are you? So let's let's talk about this qualifying for USA's because you know I'm I'm really fascinated by like I I don't take for granted. We talked about this. I mentioned it earlier about the number of people that go from just in track and field. Not even let's not even dissect down to hammer just yet, but the number of track and field that that compete in high school, which it's the number one sport when you combine boys and girls together. So a lot of stinking people do track and field in high school and to go to the NCAA, it's roughly only 5% going to the NCAA. Obviously, that number goes up when we add NAIA and JUCO uh, to that. But 5% of all this million people a year go on to do college. So to me, you are already in this amazing fraternity sorority here. It's a small amount of people. And then I don't know the numbers, but I know it's another big chop off that continue to do it after college. I mean, again, small secret society here of people that get to do it and, and do it at any level. You're doing it at a level to where you are competing at the U.S. championships, the hardest, one of the hardest meets in the world to make. What was that like the first time? When when was that? And what was that like the first time you you showed up, they do the announcements and you're looking around, you're like, oh, oh boy, okay, all right, let's, it's go time. <laughs> yeah. So my very first USA's was 2014 indoors. Okay. And that, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing I always talk about is I remember sitting, you have your separate warm up area and you have to learn, you know, how to check in, get your uniform checked. Like it's a whole process. And when you're young and have no idea, you're just like, what the hell is going <laughs> <Right>. on? <laughs> and I remember being like, well, I don't know what to do for like the hour and a half that we're told we have to sit. And I didn't know you didn't have to like stay in one place because how are you supposed to know that? So I find a spot and I sit and I start watching all, it was the sprinters, the male sprinters. I think the hundred or it was indoors, sorry. 60 was about to happen. We, we were about to question your uh, track knowledge out there. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, <laughs> but, and I started watching them warm up and, you know, I just finished being a GA and I'm like, they do all the drills that Schmidt taught me. Like, this is cool. And I remember like taking a video and sending it to them and being like, look, you trained me in this. They do it. It's real. <laughs> in, in the in the warm-up area, you take this video. Yeah. And send it to them. I love that you're you're in a pretty high stressful situation. You don't know what to do because no one ever get you're right. There is no rule book. No one ever sits you down and says, Hey, here's how it actually goes. You have to learn yeah. it by trial. And your first instinct is to think of someone else and go, hey, look, look, like it's real. Look, they do the same thing. There's a, I don't know who would have been in 14, but like, look, these are yeah. big time people and they're doing what you taught. That's so cool that you, I mean, again, there's it's that cool. service service mentality of like, oh, I'm thinking of others yeah. uh, during a very high stress moment for yourself. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I mean, it was just, that was probably one of the first times I'm like, oh, all level athletes have to do the same basics. So that was kind of like a learning coaching moment. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for all events, but in this case, it was for the sprinters. And I was like, oh, this is this is what we teach our kids at all levels. So it was, it was a cool thing to see the reality of that, that there's some stuff that no matter who you are, right. you got to do it and you got to yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah. University of Redlands or University of Tennessee, it don't matter. You, yeah. you, if you don't know how to do this drill or be this flexible or do this in the blocks, yeah. uh, it don't matter. Yeah. yeah. That was really cool. So that was my first indoors. Um, I was just amazed at, I didn't know all the big name throwers yet. I was kind of like just learning the world. So I was just like, she looks really good. And then I'd look him up. I'm like, oh, that's what's her face. Whoa. And I, you know, I, I, you know, just awkward, like little high, like, do I say anything? Because again, you don't know how to act with these people. And I've been around for so long now that I've totally evolved that it's like, 
I see those people and I force them to hug me whether they want it or not. I'm like, I'm one of you, love me. Um, but at that year, I was not like that. I was just amazed. <laughs> Amber Campbell was my idol at that time. You think I'm funny? I like this. That's, that's, a, that's a heck of an idol. I love her. Uh, no, because I could see because yeah. I know you well enough that I can see you being the yeah yeah this is the hugger of the group. But I can also see you during this like I'm gonna call it your freshman year of you know USA's yeah. and you're just like <laughs> you didn't know what to I, do. I, you don't know, but I'm gonna hug you one day. <laughs> exactly. Amber Campbell was like the one person I really knew at that time. So it was just so cool. I have a picture and my dream is that I post this picture. I break the hammer masters record. That's my dream. But I have a picture from that indoor nationals, the first time they introduce us and I'm standing like this and Amber Campbell's right there. And I look so terrified and Amber's just, you know, chill boss. Like she's the best. And I just like, it's just this perfect picture of like freshman senior <laughs> so yeah <laughs> that was my first usas how did you get over that because i mean at the end of the day these superheroes and you're one of them for being there by the way but these superheroes they are superheroes but at the end of the day you've got to compete against them and you've got to try to beat them and you've got to almost you got to either uplift yourself to to understand that you all are also superhero or i've got to bring them down that oh they're human and guess what so am i that means they're fallible it means i, I could actually win or beat beat them in this contest i think it when i start seeing the top throwers more at i'll say casual meets mm -hmm. um not the high stakes ones getting to be around them more when they're warming up and talking to their coaches, um, seeing them stressed or upset about something that went wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just, that was the reality of like, we're all the same and you have honed your skill better than mine. And I'm going to keep doing my best and it's, it's okay if you're thrown further, but we're both going for the same thing. And that's really cool. Any great memories from any of the USJ championships besides Meet Amber Campbell. I've been to other. so many. Yeah. Uh, oh, humble brag. Not that wouldn't be a humble brag. That was well, straight brag. I've been to a lot, and I've always like finished like last. Mm -hmm. So I was always on the bubble until the last couple of years, where I had that big breakout during Olympic trials. Um. Oh my gosh. Appropriate stories. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank you for thank you for that I self moderation. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. I think one of the things that was coolest for me, and this is when this was at Olympic trials. So I'm thrown pretty well. And um, I go to, we have our practice days, especially with Hammer and Eugene, like we're separate. Um, we have which, our own which trials is this? What year? Um, so this one I referred to is going to be 20. Okay. 20. Right. Mm -hmm. So I went to 2016 and I finished, I think 21st or something. Mm -hmm. Cool experience. That was when all the American Hammer women had their breakout season so that's when amber hit at 35 through 7404 huge pr last year of her career like just such an inspiration and just seeing all those girls like this is the year that they became like some of the best in the world mm -hmm. it was so cool i watched finals from the stands i told myself i never want to do that again but it was awesome to experience mm -hmm. um in 2020 or technically it's 2021 but 20 um, Olympic trials. I went into that. There was no expectation. There was, it's funny to see the different generations. So I've been around for a long time in the throwing community now. And there's the older coaches and officials that are all like, what are you doing here? Like, 
well, you just hanging out? And I'm like, oh no, I'm competing again. And just like the fun realization that like, I know some people, and then there's all the young throwers. Like at that meet, my boyfriend did the numbers. The average age was like 23 and I'm 30, wow. whatever I am at wow. that time. Yeah. And it was just cool. Cause they're all like, who is that? Even some of the newer coaches are like, I've never seen this person in my life. Who are you? <laughs> and like, that was just a cool experience of being, you know, I've been here. Mm-hmm. It's a new year. I get to meet new people, new experiences. And like my dream, as we've kind of talked about the service, I like, I want to give back. I want to help other people. Like Jim did that for me. And mm-hmm. I, I want to do that for other people. Um, and I have to find my own way to do it. And sometimes, you know, presenting at clinics or just mm-hmm. talking to some of the new throwers or just anything I can do, like, that's a gift I want to give back. So it was kind of cool to realize I'm like, not that these kids are going to like look up to me or anything, but I'm like, Hey, here's the new generation. Like maybe I can give them some knowledge or just even hanging out and having fun and showing them that like, have fun, like chill, relax. Like this is, you're here. (laughs) And, um, so I think at that Olympic trials, like just that experience and being at that practice and kids like mean mugging me because they're like, who's this enemy? And me being like, oh, all right, my name's Lisa. Like, <laughs> I'm old, but I'm here. And coaches like coming up to me and being like, who the hell are you? I had a coach actually say that to me. Really? And hilarious. And now we talk, we're fine. <laughs> but he was just like, excuse me, who the hell are you? And I was like, oh, I'm Lisa. <laughs> like, I'm having a good year. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to say to that. <laughs> like those are the fun memories is those interactions with people and I could go on all day about them but yeah <laughs> you you talked about wanting to give back and not only for the sport for the athletes and it kind of ties us to where you started us off about with MF so talk to us about because you alluded to something about hey I need to get my stuff together and get a job and <laughs> here, here's you know there's a job at MF etc where are you at into that transition going into MF now you mean sorry yeah, as you're so as you're at trials of 21 and 20, oh, kind of that, that era, and now you, you yeah. know, MF comes in here somewhere around this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and, and there was a story there, there. I assume there's a story because you said someone told you, or maybe you told yourself, I have to get my stuff together, I have to get a, a job. So, where, where talk to us about that time period? Yeah, so I was I started with MF in August of 2018. Hmm. Okay. So, right so through that year at MF. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Um, so right before then is when I was coaching at assumption, mm-hmm. I was just part-time. I was going through life stuff, trying to get my poop together. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was the time that I, I was just working out for fun, doing all that kind of stuff. And my best friend and boss at the time, Trent, he's like, you're not meant to work part-time and sit here. And this is what coaches do. That's amazing. They, they know, when to say the right thing to change your life. And Mm -hmm. even though he was just one of my best friends, like he's a coach Mm -hmm. and he knows how to deal with people and help them along their journey. And that, I mean, so many people can tell stories of that, but he had to sit down with me and was like, this isn't what you should be doing. You're better than this. Like you deserve a full-time job, like a real life, like happiness. Mm. Take this interview, do it. (laughs) So that was when I started with them. And I mean, that was such a blessing that Trent helped me with that. And then MF took me in and, such a mom and pop, like family company. I'm very fortunate. Um, so I was working there full time since August, 2018. And when I started throwing again, it was actually COVID was a gift to me. I know people don't like to say that, but I, we ended up working from home. And so I didn't have a long commute. 
I had time. We built a gym in my basement. So I have a place to work out. Uh, there's a lot more that went through in that timeline, but that's the basic of it. Um, so I had the opportunity to be a full-time athlete while actually working. And we found my boyfriend does all my strength training and everything like that. And he gets, you know, he'll joke around. He's chef, he's chauffeur, <laughs> massage therapist, everything. So, um, it actually was a gift that we live together and he can see, you know, like, oh, you're tired. We need to back off or like pick it up. Um, he doesn't know anything about throwing. So bless his soul. He knows when I look faster or slower, he'll tell you that all the time bless him. <laughs> he, um, but he's kind of helped guide me so that I could figure out I don't need to do a thousand things while <laughs> still training and while working, like kind of fine tuning what works for me in my athletic career. So anyways, um, so during this COVID transition, I had time to figure out what worked for me training wise. And I just got stronger and played around with throwing and then Olympic trials was just like, I, I mean, you can ask anyone at meets how many times I cried at meets because I was like, I'm doing so well. Like I just threw a PR. Like I cried every meet. Um, it was just, it was a gift magical season. I don't know. It's like a Cinderella season. I just improved by four meters because I was living a better lifestyle. I went to trials and hit a huge PR. And no, I mean, no one expects me to be in finals. It was just, I could cry about it all day. <laughs> so the journey with MF, it was just so, they've been so supportive and helping me and making sure I can make time to train as well as be very successful at my job. It's just awesome. It's nice to be able to work from home and no stress, just be good at my job. And it's awesome. <laughs> so a couple of things to unpack there. First of all, you know, one of the most valuable tools that we can all have in our life is a Swiss army knife. And I love that your boyfriend is that Swiss army knife. He's the chef, the massage, the weightlifting. Uh, I'm sure he's, the, I'm sure he's the mental counsel uh, sometimes as well. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yes. we, we all, we all need that Swiss army knife. So I, I like oh. that you have that. It's awesome. And one of the things that you described about Trent and Jim uh, you know, it's really that you described what the real true power of a coach is that they are able to see something in you, the athlete before you can see it yourself. I mean, that is really, when you boil down, like if someone were to say, Hey, Mike, define what a coach does. That's exactly regardless of sport, but specifically here in track and field, they see things in their athletes that the athletes have no ability to see themselves, no ability to believe in themselves. And then help bring that out. And that is why we have amazing athletes at every turn nowadays and every event uh, here in America on every level <laughs> out there. Uh, so I just love that you, you were describing that with Trent and Jim, that both of them said, hey, sit down, let, let's talk. Like, first of all, you, you know, Trent talking about you deserve uh, better. You deserve happiness. You deserve a full-time job. Jim saying, hey, you know what? I see this in you and, you know, yeah. and for, therefore you deserve to be a better thrower. And and uh, that might lead to uh, USA championships and things like that, but we'll never know if we don't give it a try. So yeah, yeah. I love that. So talk about when Trent was telling you about, hey, there's a job over at MF. Did you know anything about MF or was this like, oh, I know MF or was it like, who, did you have to learn about them? What was yeah. your knowledge um, level there? So I knew them in general because I remember in college being handed an MF athletic catalog. Oh, and yeah. Implements. <laughs> And um, so like, they've always been someone I knew, like, even when I did some ordering, when I was coaching, I ordered mm -hmm. from them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know like Mark personally or anyone like that. Trent's best friends with one of Mark's kids. So that was that connection as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew them just kind of loosely because Trent would talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I interviewed and like, you know, you read, you read the company history, you learn all about them. I'm like, man, why didn't I know more about this mm-hmm. place? Like, yeah, great history. And it's one of those things that just falls in your lap. Like you weren't, you're not looking for it. You don't know they're the perfect company for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I didn't know that much about them. But the day I started working there, it was just awesome. <laughs> did uh, did Mark interview you? Yes. H- how was that? Yeah, I know Mark <laughs> fairly well. I always wonder, like, in that side of life, was it intimidating? Was it, um, I don't know, you tell me. How, how was it, like, you think about your memory there being interviewed by Mark Stradovich? What can I say? Yeah, yeah, um, without jeopardizing your current <laughs> situation with him uh, yes <laughs> no mark was awesome and i think he knew a little bit about me just because he got to talk to trent to actually hear like what my current situation was um they i think they had pretty much already looked at my resume and i mean mark can answer this it felt like they had already decided i was a good fit it was just formality um so you know a little intimidating because you're like what am i gonna say wrong just like any interview um but Mark's just a big teddy bear. Don't tell him I said that. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me tell you the words I've never used to describe him. <laughs> and I know you're listening. I love you, Mark. You know that. Yeah. So let, let's talk about your position there at MF. You're a sales rep and, you know, throw specialty based off of your athleticism and coaching, you know, but obviously you're not just throwing, or you're not just selling just throwing stuff. Uh, You're selling pits and hurdles and poles and the whole nine. Uh, I'm sure like you, I get asked a lot of times about like, you know, from coaches like, Hey, so what do you do? Could I ever do that? Like what's it talk to us about what's an average day as a sales rep at MF. And I know that's a loaded question because there are hardly any average days. I know that from experience. (laughs) Um, So we have a great situation, I think, and you can say the same thing with Gil and we sell Gil products. So, um, that people know our company, people know that we both have, we have quality products. So we're getting calls from coaches because they know that they're going to get something great with us and that they're going to talk to knowledgeable people. And I think that's a really cool experience that for the most part, I get calls. We have a live chat system, emails, every, Every way you can think of it, I get text messages, DMs, um, people asking, you know, do you sell these products? What do you think about this? Can you compare this stuff? Um, so, and just some coaches saying like, hey, I want this, get it for me. <laughs> um, but I think on a day-to-day basis, we're dealing a lot with coaches that need help picking products or have a list of exactly what they want um, or just want to talk about track. Like they heard something and our company was referenced to them. So it can be all over the place, but pretty much, you know, putting quotes together, helping customers pick their products, what's the best fit for them. Um, Sometimes it's educating about track because we have, well, I work with a lot of colleges and I have a lot of friends that are college coaches, so they're easy to deal with. Um, There's a lot of high school coaches that are still learning and we actually get the opportunity to help educate on products or the sport. And especially for me, someone will send me a thrower and I'll be like, oh, let's talk for 30 minutes about throwing and then we'll, we'll figure out what you want. Um, but we do, we get the opportunity to educate people and help them. And I know you deal with this as well. Like the different product lines we have, um, figuring out what works best for them 
budget wise or mm-hmm. what's best for their athlete, especially with throws, you know, even like a discus rim weight, a lot of coaches don't mm-hmm. even know what that is yet. So we get the opportunity to help them learn that and then talk about the sport in turn and, you know, make them feel like family. What's That's the my- most rewarding part of your job because you do a lot of different aspects what, what when you go home at the end of the night well <laughs> you work from home but walk over there. <laughs> yeah yeah when you get out of the library which we're going to talk about yeah. by the way we're not getting away from for for you that, that are watching on youtube you see the the background we're definitely chopping into that uh <laughs> but when you plug out for the day when you're like okay i'm back to just being lisa uh and you look back like man i really like, you know why I can't wait to plug back in tomorrow? Because I enjoy this. What's one of the most rewarding aspects of the of the job? Yeah, so I think I've obsessively noted that I love talking about track and I love the opportunity to help people. And I know it's my job, so I am getting paid to do it. But I like, this is a way of me giving back. Mm-hmm. And it's one way of many that I try to do, but I get to give back by helping people figure out what's best for them or just honestly, like I'm competitive. So I'm like, Oh, who's ahead in sales today? Let me mm-hmm. check this. And I'll, I'll email sometimes my coworkers be like, Hey, I guess that's a good order, but I'm still ahead of you. <laughs> but no, I like the competitive. Wait, you, you're going to tell me that you're competitive. What a shocker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's something fun for me is I find ways to compete. I can't help myself. It's just right. who I am. So it's fun to see how the numbers play out. It's fun to try to find big orders or, um, when I started the job, I did not, it's amazing how much I didn't realize I don't know about track, like even mm-hmm. implements. I'm like, people ask these questions. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I had to learn so much more than I, I didn't even realize it was stuff. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of obvious. Like even different handle sizes for hammers. Mm-hmm. I was just like, that's a thing. I, mm-hmm. I just threw them. I don't know. <laughs> um, so when I started with the company, I didn't, I had to learn so much about the products, not just throws everything. And now that I've evolved, like it's, it's almost like a game for me to figure out what people need and really want, Mm -hmm. because sometimes they don't know. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's something enjoyable. And in the end, yes, it's a transaction, but in my head, I'm like, I just helped this person. Like I helped them find what works for them. And now they can go home and say like, oh, we got this amazing shop put that this kid loves because the diameter fits them better and blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it's just kind of the fitting pieces together. That's what I love about it. No, knowing that you came from a throws background and you, and I think you're spot on with, as an athlete, you weren't really thinking about, like you mentioned the width of the hammer handles that there were even options, things like that. Yeah. But, but knowing that in general, you were very comfortable in the throws, discus shot, et cetera, javelins, even what has been like the most, like I don't want to necessarily say challenging, but maybe the most uh, fun, like, oh man, I had to learn about this. That's not throws. Like um, maybe the first time you learned about poles and flex numbers or standards. I don't know. What was there? Is there something that I'm kind of putting you on the spot? I know, but it's something like, you're like, oh man, first time I learned about X, Y, and Z, I just thought that was the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Pole vault is always one of the most fascinating things to learn about pits, poles, all that stuff. I'm still learning and evolving with that. Um, I had an answer, but it's flipped my head. Give me one second and I will think. While you're thinking, I'm going to give a story because, but be thinking, don't listen to this amazing story. (laughs) But she mentioned pole vault, which so I'm so dumb. I coached for 10 years at a fairly high level. I made it to the SEC and all that kind of stuff. 
when they brought me in for my interview here at Gill, they took me to the poll room to show me, you know, the process of making polls. Well, I'm so dumb. I had really no idea how they were made. I just thought like they had like this 100 foot length of, of a pole and they're like, oh, we need a 15 footer chop. Uh, oh, we need a couple of tens, chop, chop. Oh, now 17. And they just like, like almost like the Play-Doh, pr- pr- you know, press the spaghetti presser. <laughs> I just thought that like that's how they made polls. And then to actually see, first of all, if you don't know, it's a, it is, if you don't know how they make polls, you have no idea how they make polls and what they actually look like to start out with. If you go to YouTube and go and uh, search um, how it's made pole vault polls, how it's made that TV show actually did that uh, for pole vaulting Crazy. polls. And, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, if you're, if you don't know, you'll be blown away of how a pole vault pole starts and gets to where, you know, what, as you see it as a track meet, it just blew me away. And I realized I was like, man, I coached for 10 years. I, I know a lot and I love other events. I told you, you know, I'd go every day. I'd go early to watch the hammer throwers and I decently like distance. And, uh, you know, I, I watched a lot of events and I still had no clue of the pole vault pole. It's quite amazing. Yeah. All right. I have an answer, but it's not specific to implements or to no, items. No. It's a people thing. Perfect. Okay. Love it. Let's hear so, it. Something that I think is eye opening um, is that as a sales rep, you forget that people that call in don't actually know you or think of you always as a person and kind of trying to find a way to get earn their trust so that they realize that what you're saying is actually for their benefit. Mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the biggest things to me because I'm just, I'm, I guess I can, I'm a caring person (laughs) and I care about helping people. And I think that like, it was really crazy me when I tell someone something and they'd call back the next day and be like, oh, someone told me this, but I don't believe it. Can you tell me the truth? And it'd be, I'd be like, why would I lie to you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that, like that people relation is something that I was blown away by that you have to, I mean, it's not surprising you have to earn people's trust, but just that people are call in and ask a question and they're like, oh, well, you can't be right. I didn't hear hear that before. I'm like, why? I want to help you. (laughs) I'm not trying to screw you over. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that was the hardest thing to realize that people aren't looking at you. They don't know who you are. They don't really know that you have a background. They're just calling in and they have preconceived notions that you have to attack or tackle, I should say. Yeah. You know, I think what you're talking about there is actually a much deeper discussion. You know, for me, there's a difference between being a salesman or a saleswoman and being a sales professional. Mm -hmm. And we, people who are sales professionals get um, dinged, if you will, because of the snake oil salesmen's the proverbial used car sale the people who are out it out for it for themselves and not out for it for the customer and so when for guys like you and I who are out for the customer people are automatically and, and we do it too our, you know Lisa not Lisa the MF sales rep but Lisa Wilson when she goes to buy a TV at Best Buy or a car it's always like mm. Yeah, what's this person not telling me? What's <laughs> what's the catch? Yeah. Uh, I better go check somewhere else and make sure that I get the same info. So we do it as well because we've seen, we've been jaded, we've been um, tricked, uh, we've been pressured into buying stuff. And when we look at it in our professionals as of how we do things, it's like, oh yeah, there's no pressure here. Like first of all, my career, I don't know about for you, Lisa, my career changed when, um, cause there's no, there's no class. Like we didn't go to college for sales. Like there's no degree in say, like you have to learn it kind of on your own. And then there's some things that you can, you know, obviously from examples of others, but, uh, then there's some actual sales training that you can do as well. But 
when I learned that it's not my job to convince coach to buy X, Y, and Z, like that's like, I can't convince you to do anything, Mr. And Mrs. Coach, like you've got to come to your own conclusions. My job is actually first to find out if there is a, if there is an issue, is there a problem? Do you need a new X, Y, or Z? And then it's to find out if I even have the solution. There's a lot of manufacturers out there. I, I hate Boyd. My boss is right behind this door. Uh, we're not the right for everybody. We're not, by the way, that means the other people aren't the right for everybody <laughs> as well. Uh, so it's learning about, you know, questioning techniques and actually like to your point, caring like, oh, by the way, you're going to coach for the next 20, 30, 40 years. I'm going to be in this business for the next 20, 30, 40 years. I ain't in the business of screwing you over just so I can get a sale today and then yeah. lose the next couple of decades of your business because you found out I'm a, I'm a snake and I did it for myself, not for, for you, you know? So I love that, you know, that passion that you have, that desire you have of like, Oh, like it hurt. I could tell it actually kind of hurts you a little bit that someone doesn't (laughs) trust you. It's like, well, Lisa, I just don't believe that. It's like, Oh, well, why would you say that? Cause like my, my, my whole intention is to help not yeah. Why would I lie? You know, so I love that that's your, your, uh, your, your forward facing towards, uh, you know, it's so hard sometimes to call coaches customers because it feels so unintimate, you know? Um, but I love that that's your forward facing the heart posture is like, I, I just want to help. And luckily I get to help in a sport that I love and have done for my whole life and, uh, and, and be able to enjoy it and talk about it and go to the meets and everything. Uh, what, what a gift that, that you have there. Yeah. And what's funny is that I think as a coach, that was actually something I also struggled with is that to me, it's so obvious how much I wanted to help people and I cared, but the whole point of coaching is you take time to develop relationships. Like the, especially if you start a new school, these kids aren't going to trust you right away. You're the new kid. Like that's crazy talk. And I think that was something I struggle with is as a coach is that like, you have to wait for the, the relationship to build. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not going to happen. And I'm not a patient person. <laughs> so, and that's something so many coaches talk about building relationship with their kids, like earning trust, like maybe taking it down a notch. So that person knows you're doing this because you care. And that's a big picture thing, but. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is to challenge our guest, Lisa. Ooh. Yeah. And so something you just said there, it was an automatic, the, the flag went up and I was like, hold up. So you, okay, ju- you just said, I'm not a very patient person, <laughs> but we just heard the story of someone who goes to college, learns the hammer, hates the hammer, uh, finally throws a little bit her senior year, doesn't give up on it, goes and throws uh, after you moved to California. Coach says, hey, sh- she might have something, but she's going to have to come talk to me. You do that. You work with that person for five years, six years, et cetera. You, you, you retire, you get out of it, you come back into it, and you're making U.S. Uh, uh, championships and Olympic trials. That sounds like the story of patience to me. <laughs> well, if you would have asked me two days ago, I would have told you that the sport's ridiculous. It's horrible. I had a bad practice. Why am I doing it? This morning I had a great practice. So I'm on top of the moon right now. So let me tell you, this long journey has been worth it. (laughs) But what's actually ironic is that that is something I'll talk with young new throwers about, especially picking up hammer out of nowhere. It's some people I've coached kids at the first day, they could do six turns. And I like cried because I don't know how they did it. I could never do that. But most kids, it takes years to figure it out. It's just, it's a long learning event. And 
I don't think anyone specifically said that to me when I got into the journey. Like it could take you 10 years. <laughs> no one said that to me. But now when I talk to kids, it's like, if you really love this, like it could take you 10 years. If you really want to be great, it could take a long time. And you have to just kind of accept and conceptualize that these first few years are just you learning and having fun and becoming one with a sport and finding happiness in it. And maybe a coach distinctly said that to me growing up, but I don't remember that. And I feel like that's something that like patience wouldn't have been the word I use, but I guess we can use it. <laughs> but just acceptance of the long journey. Yeah. And you gave such good examples yourself personally, PRing at 30. Uh, you talked about um, Amber Campbell hitting her PR at what, 32. Uh, Gwen Berry is throwing out of this world and she's been around for a while. Uh, so yeah, patience. And that's why when you say, I don't have very much patience, it's like, mm, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think you are the, you're showing the story of the embodiment of patience. You, you could have quit after college after after UMass uh, Amherst and no one would have faulted you no one would have said oh man you really you should have gone on for the next 10 years everybody like oh well hey I man you had a great career you learned you, you contributed to the team bravo it was probably the right time to, to move on and you didn't uh, after you moved to California and, and you're coaching you get your MBA you're, you're a coach now you're going to coach you could have stopped throwing then and no one would have faulted you they're like oh okay okay you retired yeah. No one said you probably should never retire. You should probably keep going. You know, just <laughs> ten more years. And you're like, no, hey, great job, man. What what a what a life you lived up to this point in that hammer. That's great. You're right. It is time for something else. Move on. That's all good. We all do that. You are the embodiment of patience, my friend. So for you to say, I don't have much patience now. Now, you're, you're to your point. Your Swiss Army knife might be listening to this right now, going, <laughs> "Yeah, you have, no, say that. you have no idea, dude. No patience. Right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But I bet if, even if he sat back and thought about it, I was like, well. She does deal with me when I do this and continues <laughs> to be here. And when I do this and, well, you know, I think it's a, a life of patience that you're actually <laughs> exemplifying, Lisa. Well, thank you. <laughs> so let's start wrapping up here today. Before we do, though, I do, we're, we talked about this a little bit before we hit the record button. And again, if you're watching on YouTube, you've seen this. I, I have to know. Tell me more. You look like you're in a mini library here. Um <laughs> And, and, I, and I'm a very avid book reader myself, so I, I'm fascinated by this. Tell us more about these books. What is, do you just have a passion for reading or what? I've always loved reading. My dad was a big reader when I was growing up. So he's always had, he has over like a thousand. So I have over a thousand books in here. You can't see there's a couple of bookshelves over here. Um, most of them are fantasy and sci-fi because that's what my dad grew up reading. So I want, my dad's so cool. So obviously I have to read it. So um, when I bought my house, I've been here for a couple of years now, I always told myself I wanted to have a library. So here we are. We bought as many bookshelves as possible. I took all my dad's old books and I put them in here. So I haven't counted, but I know it's over a thousand and I have some of like my school books and stuff as well and all that kind of stuff. But I love reading. <laughs> so, yeah. so someone, and you said sci-fi and fantasies, <laughs> your favorite genre, is it a genre? Is that what you call it for yeah. books? Yeah. Themes right. or whatnot. Yeah. So someone out there right now is also nerding out going, oh my God, I also love sci-fi fantasy. So, uh, but maybe there's other people that are like, you know, I've always wanted to, but I never did. What, uh, what book or uh, series or whatnot is either your favorite or that you would recommend maybe for a, let's do two. 
tell us what your favorite is. So that'll satisfy all the people who really love sci-fi and fantasy. Be like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I haven't read that and I need to read it. Or yeah, she's right. It's awesome. And then also give us a recommendation for someone who's like, you know, I don't read it, but I, I've always thought about it. What should they tiptoe yeah. into? So give us your favorite and Ooh. a suggestion. So it's also going to depend on age on this, I would say. Um, but I'll, my I'll, give you, favorite... I'll give you a secret. Our, our number one <laughs> stat. We, uh, we are really big in males, 25 to 35. That is the biggest group of okay. listeners right now, right me. now, right now listening. Th that's who is listening <laughs> on average, on over average. Perfect. So Ann Bishop is one of my favorite authors in the Black Jewels trilogy. I don't think it's a very famous series, um, but it's my favorite. There's, I think there's actually 10 books total outside the trilogy, but um, that is my favorite to read um oh gosh see there's so many different directions to go with fantasy and sci-fi that it's like you have to figure out like do you like a male main character do you like a female main character do you like a world that's completely made up there's like, a what, lot what would be just a good tiptoe like just a you know i'm trying to look around real quick a good starter um, kit sorry i mean the easy ones are always thinking about like i started with harry potter as one of my like first full series mm -hmm. that was an easy one um and they're with all the movies now i mean you can't go wrong with that um oh gosh you're actually really challenging me because i'm trying to think of like which series yeah um i'm looking right in front of me i have a brandon sanderson series a Mistborn trilogy that's really good okay I would recommend that as a starter because right. it has a lot of it has a lot of fun fantasy stuff, but a lot of good relationship building stuff as well. That's what you know, males <laughs> twenty five to thirty five really are after. So that's perfect. There's romance. That's I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and does this sci fi fantasy passion for reading does it carry over in other things? I'm trying to think. Like, do you do D and D? Um, I'm trying to think what other like type of games or movies does it go into that side too, or so, is it just strictly for reading? For me, it's strictly for reading, but I overanalyze like everything. So I'm not very creative actually. So like D and D is something I've watched people play. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just, I would freeze. I could not figure that. I like watching it. I think it's very entertaining. Mm -hmm. Like I love playing video games. Um, but I would say honestly, and this sounds really funny, but one of the things I like about fantasy books is that it's a made up world, but they all have a set structure. So they have a development of their society. I know I sound crazy right now, <laughs> like rules of the world, whether like there's magic of the world or there's not. And I think that's very fascinating that someone can come up with this whole world with a structure and develop it through multiple, because I like long trilogies or long series. I think that's very fascinating how someone can come up with that whole system on their yeah. own and develop it and like just see it grow i think that's super cool no i so. I, I would echo that i, I am amazed and you're talking specifically about sci-fi fantasy i'm talking about just other mm -hmm. fiction books and things like that or or movies even where it's like man someone like right now i'm a, a big marvel person uh, i grew up reading the marvel comic books and i'm really into the movies and things like that as they and obviously they make their own errors and stuff because of nerds that point out and I, mean, and I mean nerd in the good way by the way i i'm a, I'm a nerd i love nerds uh that point out the mistakes but for somebody who like kevin fiji who you know has to plan out in whatever year it started 2016 with captain america and see 30 years in advance in the movies and shows and it, it it's fluid they add shows as they're going along and like oh this character got hot well let's make them a to be able to see that and keep it coherent for the mm -hmm. most sake is it, fascinating yeah creativity 
keeping it all together, dealing with a bunch of different directors and actors, and they have their own input into it. And still like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a book, it's a sequence. Like I can follow along and see people grow up in the system. It's quite astounding. And I would say, I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty creative person and I would agree with you. I'm not, I could not to that level of detail. I couldn't get there. Yeah. Yeah. And Ant-Man's this weekend. We're buying our tickets. We're doing that when my boyfriend gets home. Very uh, excited. I am also a cheap nerd. So, <laughs> and, I don't, and, I, and I don't like crowds. So I will wait till I get back from NCAA's middle of March. I've already told the family <laughs> we're going to go. Yes. yes That's yes, yes. fair. Yeah. I won't tell you anything then. Uh, you, you know, I read all about it every day, uh, not at work, boss. Um, so I, I know it'll be spoiled, you know, so I'm not worried. I don't, I, I'm not one of those people where it's like, oh, I don't want to tell you because you might watch it. Like, first of all, usually it's about a movie that I'll never watch. I'm like, yeah, you're good, yeah. bro. You can tell me the story. I was like, but I'll still be surprised. I'm not going to, you know, it's not going to stare right here in my head. And I'm going to remember it when I go to watch the movie. Like, I'll forget it and it'll still be a surprise. We're yeah. good. Uh, but I am excited about Ant-Man and, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 uh, this summer. That's also, yeah, pumped up for that too. So yeah, pumped. Lisa. Go, go, go. What? You love it. Yeah. Okay. Good. I was, I was interrupting. Lisa, thank you so much, you know, for, for a lot of things. First of all, you know, your time is extremely valuable. So for you to spend time with us here on the podcast, always super, super grateful. It is, you know, it's a super busy time for coaches right now. Well, remember coaches, uh, people like Lisa and myself and others, we're, we're hearing from all of you right now. It is the time of the year, especially right here. Uh, this is March 6th when you're listening to this, but we're right here in February and March. Uh, it is a um, it is a fire hose of requests. Thank God, by the way. Thank you for calling. I don't, don't hear me complaining. Trust me. Thank you for calling. <laughs> <Thank> you. <us. laughs> More deluge, please. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, but just value you know, uh, grateful for your time during this extremely busy time for you. And uh, and honestly, you know, kind of for speaking for Gil towards MF Athletics. So grateful for you guys. We have been partners for. I mean, I've been here, I feel like I've been here a long time. I've been here almost 17 years and the relationship between MF and Gil was long before me. Uh, and I really feel like it has really strengthened even more and gotten stronger here in the last three, four, five, six years uh, to where, you know, we just value what you and the team does, uh, how you represent us and just feel just so blessed to have you guys on our team representing Gil Athletics Equipment. Yeah. And thank you. It's easy to sell quality products. Let's be real. <laughs> I'm just happy you don't have to sell me because that would be, you'd, I would challenge how much of a sales professional you are if you had to, thank God you're just working with the equipment and not me. <laughs> well, Lisa, thanks for being here. Uh, really do appreciate it. Tell the, tell the gang, I said, hello, of course, uh, you know, we talk to you guys pretty, pretty often. So, uh, but please give our love to everybody there. And thank you guys and gals for being here today. You know, I think it's super interesting to bring you people that aren't necessarily always coaches. I love our coaches that will continue and always will be our focus here on the Gale Athletics Connections podcast, but to bring you other aspects to show you uh, Lisa, who's gone from athlete and coach and continues to be athlete and also serving coaches in her role as a sales rep. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I just like to show you all the different aspects of this great sport that you serve as a coach in uh, track and field here. So, uh, so thankful for Lisa being here today. Join us next week. We're going to do it all over again, where we'll have another great coach as we get closer and closer to our 200th episode. I got a big one for you on episode 200. So you, you got to be here, uh, but join us next week. We'll have another coach and we'll do it all over again. God bless and have a great week. Thank you.